The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today on Kroll Call, prepare to get fired up for our first ever Hot Topics panel discussion. We'll be discussing everything from the frenzy of the political season to the outcry over the lack of diversity on this year's Oscar ballot. Joining us for the discussion will be comedian and political commentator John Fugelsang and actress-comedian Suzanne Wong. That's what's coming up today on Kroll Call. Hello there, everybody. What's going on? Welcome to Kroll Call. I am your host, Dan Kroll. And, you know, I saw my shadow earlier in the week. Now I'm afraid to leave the house. So you're stuck with me hosting this show for at least another couple of weeks until I get the courage to muster out of the house. And you know what? Here, at least on the East Coast, it wasn't until recently that I was able to even get outside of the house. We had three feet of snow Two weeks ago, it wasn't a good time. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the snow. I know you're probably asking, well, then why don't you just move someplace where there isn't snow? Uh, Honestly, uh, with respect to the people who live there, I don't like any of the people who live in places where it doesn't snow. Typically, they just, uh, I don't know, you know, it gets to be 50 or 60 degrees and they're reaching for their shawls and just, I don't know, it makes me very angry. So I'd rather stay here and be miserable and be one of those angry people in the snow than to move someplace and, and become soft. But That's me. That's another issue for another time. The snow, if you're following along on my Instagram account, at Dan J. Kroll, or on Twitter, at Dan J. Kroll, make it pretty easy to find me. You'll see that most of the snow has melted in the past just about two weeks, just a little bit of snow, so I'm happy about that, and I'm kind of over the snow for the rest of the year, but it wasn't For the snow, uh, it made me realize that I forgot to mention last month that we marked an anniversary here on the show. It was our sixth anniversary. Uh, Doesn't seem like six years. We've talked a lot about uh, a lot of different things in the last six years. And we're going to be talking about something for the very first time because we're going to attempt a panel discussion of all sorts of hot topics and things in politics and things in in pop culture and things all over the place. Anything really that pops into our heads and anything that you suggest to us on Twitter. So send us a message at Kroll Call Show. Let us know some of the things that you want to talk about because we're going to start this week's show. My first guest is an actor, a comedian, a political commentator, and a talk show host. John Fugelsang is going to help me inaugurate our very first Hot Topics panel discussion here on the show, and hopefully he will tell me everything. John, welcome to Kroll Call. Uh, hi, it's a bit awkward. I thought we were talking about the store Hot Topic. I'm all set to discuss goth wear, so this is a little bit awkward, but I'll do my best. Well, you know, it's always some sort of fun T-shirt, so maybe you can just make a minor <laughs> wardrobe uh, adjustment and, and we'll call it even. No problem. Dan, it's a pleasure to be on with you. Thanks for having me. 
Uh, thanks for making some time to be here. I definitely appreciate that. Uh, you know, I mentioned my anniversary. I want to mention you had one as well, if I do my math correctly. Tell me everything on Sirius XM. First anniversary just last month, correct? Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the channel started out, I, I got a call about a year ago asking uh, from, from comedian Pete Dominic asking if I wanted to do a show on this new network they were launching that was going to be like NPR with penis jokes. And uh, I said, sure, sign me up. And so it's been a, a year now of a really fun show that's like one third political talk, one third, you know, NPR with authors and rock stars and actors and and, uh, and and writers, and then uh, one-third just comedians being very uh, inappropriate together. So I can see why you enjoy what you do, Dan, because it's a, it's a pretty fun field to play in. It is, and I'm learning something. I mean, the, the great thing about this show is being able to learn something. I have now learned that there are more channels on Sirius XM than above the Channel 9. Usually I listen to the countdowns on the 70s on 7, the 80s on 8, the 90s on 9. Uh, now there's a Channel 121. Who knew? Yeah, I mean, I I was a big fan of SiriusXM for a while, and, uh, you know, they have so many great talk stations, and when they called me and asked me to do the show, I was like, well, um, as long as I, you know, can uh, talk about things other than politics and play any kind of music I want, and I have to tell you, I've done so much TV and radio in the past, and I've never, ever worked in a place with more uh, creative freedom, so it's been pretty fun. I get to do a show that has everybody from, you know, Republican Senator Trent Lott to uh, Gilbert Gottfried, to uh, Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys. We've had a lot of fun. That's a, a good, diverse mix of people. I like that. That's what I'm going for. So you described it NPR with penis jokes. Has a sort of a weird segue into you used to co-host America's Funniest Home Videos. Why is it still funny to watch people get hit in the crotch with a baseball bat? Uh, yeah, you're, you're asking the wrong guy. Uh, I guess, you know, pain looks good on other people, as Charlie Brown once said. And uh, that was a, a fun little gig. They, they called me up about that a while back, and they asked me to come in, and Bob Saget had left, and they were looking for somebody to just uh, co-host for half a season um, with Daisy. And I was like, well, fine, sure, a couple of months, no big deal. And it wound up being about three times the time I had signed on for. But uh, it was a fun little job. It was humbling to know I was being seen every week by millions of people on millions of TVs in some of the finest trailer parks this country has to offer. (laughs) One of the things that our country also has to offer is uh, never a loss for a discussion about politics. Question I want to ask for you before we sort of go into uh, doing exactly what I'm going to ask about. When did politics become so mean? I remember at a point in time, showing my age here, where it was considered insulting to make fun of Ronald Reagan liking jelly beans. And then there was, you know, where was George? Now we've gotten to a place where, you know, we say, oh, some people say that, oh, our president is a secret jihadist wanting to destroy America. You've got photos of Donald Trump as a Nazi. It seems as though we've gone to a place where politics has become increasingly mean, regardless of your political affiliation. Well, honestly, I I think it's always been going on. I mean, back to colonial days, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson hated each other and wrote the most scathing things about each other in the press. John Adams accused Thomas Jefferson of, you know, selling his own kids into slavery, which was kind of true, we now know. Um, Franklin Roosevelt and Eleanor were subject to just as much hatred in the press uh, as were the Clintons. And um, I, I think that it's not like the hate and rancor and bad behavior is new. I think people just find all new ways to express it. That's actually interesting, and you know, I was going to ask and, and wonder if it was a part of uh, the immediacy that we have with each other in terms of being connected via social media. I know that from 
the day job and talking about television, it seems that there came a point where people would say things on social media that they would never say in person. And, you know, I was, I guess, looking for a correlation to see if that applied in politics. But, I mean, I guess with what you're saying, even before Facebook was even a glimmer and a glimmer of a glimmer of an eye, it was already going on. Yeah, well, I think you make a good point because I imagine it's even worse. You know, the, the perils of social media are uh, people are willing to say things, especially when they think they're anonymous, uh, that, you know, could come back to haunt them. And, um, you know, Martin Shkreli, that waste of donor mm-hmm. organs, he got up in front of Congress this week and didn't and pled the fifth on every issue and then immediately went to Twitter and said that uh, all the congressmen were imbeciles. I'm sure that won't come back to haunt him at all. Um, but I, I do think that social media has allowed our culture to get even meaner because there's this whole new race of coward that can go on social media, hide their name and face, and uh, anonymously attack people who never bothered them, anonymously harass and insult women. Um, and, you know, if you want to see how bad racism really is, go on Twitter and search the hashtag white genocide and see how much ugliness is really out there. Again, I, I think this stuff has always been there in our culture. I just think social media is allowing us to get a better look at it. You mentioned Martin Shkreli. I have a question about that. It's an interesting sort of question that came up with him. You know, raising the price of a prescription drug, what, like 5,000% from 13 bucks to $750, he's done something that it seems like, I mean, we always wonder if other companies are doing it as well. You know, people, uh, Uber got uh, some flack in Australia when there was a, a shooting in Australia and they did surge pricings and people who were trying to get out of a, an area where, you know, it was an active shooter situation. We're having to pay a lot of money for Uber. We do yeah. hear of, of people in business where they, tr- they raise the prices of things because they can. It, did he do something? I mean, what he did isn't really new. It just, were we mostly upset because of what the drug was treating? Well, I think it's that. I think that, you know, he was also just a great poster boy for greed and evil. Um, he's not a very sympathetic character. And, uh, you know, normally it's some big faceless pharma company doing all this, not this guy who looks like a red shirt in Star Trek. Um, <laughs> and just his general behavior, I, I think, has redefined the uh, adjective douchey for a whole new generation. And I do think that, you know, the guy has just revealed himself time and time again to be so toxic. I think chlamydia is afraid of catching him. <laughs> Who has a better you smirk? Can, I mean, when you, when, when you can, like, be less popular than Congress, you know, when you can unite Congress, the American people, and Wu-Tang Clan, you're a special kind of sinister. I actually would love to, that sounds sort of like what my last Thanksgiving gathering was here at my house, but uh, I'm, actually it's something to aspire to. want to zip it back to politics again, since that's sort of, uh, I mean, a lot of people are, are tuning in to hear us talk about that. Does the political season start too early. It seems as though President Obama was just elected, and two days, three days later, we were already talking about who's going to replace him in four years. Yeah, it's true. You know, in England, much is made of the fact that uh, their election season only lasts about six weeks. I'm of a really mixed mind about it. Uh, it starts so early because obviously big money controls politics. We're in a society where 94% of the candidates with the most money win elections. So, uh, you know, it's democracy itself is in danger. And uh, it clearly is a symptom of a big problem. The flip side, though, for me is that we're so cut off from politics. Last uh, 2014 midterm election had the lowest turnout for a midterm since World War II. And uh, I think that we're so disengaged civically 
from each other that uh, I, I kind of feel like having a presidential campaign season that lasts over a year at least forces people to pay attention. The media uses it for ratings. And as awful as it is, it, it does keep people a bit more informed as to the issues. Um, when we can start naming more Supreme Court judges than Kardashian siblings, I think we'll be on the road to being a healthy democracy again. I'm happy to say that I'm on the, the side where I think I can name more Supreme Court justices than I can name Kardashians, and I'd like to keep it that way. But when you have things like this, there, there was this, a viral video on Facebook and, and Twitter that was going around uh, of a, a college student who went and asked some of her classmates simple questions like, uh, who won the Civil War? Uh, you know, who did America gain its independence from? And at least according to the video, there were a lot of kids who didn't know the answer to that. Now, it could be the product mm-hmm. of, you know, just creative editing. You just edit out all the stuff that doesn't work for what message you're trying to pursue. It does seem, though, like a lot of people are uninformed about issues of politics and will vote specifically because they identify with one party or another. If they feel as though they're on one side of abortion, well, then they will vote for the party that is uh, of like mind or uh, gay marriage or whatever it is. So, you know, does it hurt that we have a two-party system? I mean, it seems to me that you can either be one or the other. You can't ever be both with two parties. Well, I actually wish we had more of a a multi-party system, to tell you the truth. I mean, our first third-party candidate to be elected president got into office with only 38% of the vote, And that was a Republican, and it was Lincoln. Um, I kind of feel like the two-party duopoly just kind of makes people fall into one or the other slot. And I I sort of feel like having more independents, more third-party candidates would force people to take a deeper look at the issues. But you're right about single-issue voters. I mean, you know, the Republicans will never let abortion uh, become illegal because it's become their number one fundraising tool. And, uh, you know, despite the fact that the Bible never comes out against abortion. Jesus never mentions it. Uh, God is the least pro-life character in the entire book. God actually gives Moses very gruesome abortion instructions if your wife has been unfaithful in the book of Numbers. But um, it doesn't matter. It gets the Christian vote, so these guys will be opposed to abortion. And, you know, I, I always feel like I'd love to hear some member of the media ask a Republican politician sometime, once it's illegal, what are you going to do? Are you going to lock up women and doctors? Because you'll never end abortion. You'll only end the safe legal kind. But because we live in a society where it's like, which of the two uh, do you like? And it's always just Coke or Pepsi. Do you think that if Michael Bloomberg decided to run as an independent, do you think it would make a difference I mean, the last person, third-party candidate to really get any kind of traction was Ross Perot. That was a while ago. Uh, I mean, is, is this just sort of a, a, a threat looming out there that he could possibly run? Well, I, I do think um, that uh, uh, Ralph Nader was the last one to make an impact. And, mm. you know, if 90,000 people in Florida had just said, had voted for Gore instead of Nader, I mean, uh, we would have not had an Iraq war. So the, these elections do matter. They, they have consequences. You see that Hillary just won Iowa by about four votes, uh, four electoral votes in total. So it, it's, it's tricky to say. I mean, I, I, I just want to get more voices into the debate. And Bloomberg's a tricky case because he's a guy who was always rather a Democrat. He ran for mayor of my city as a Republican because he knew he'd have an easier time winning. Uh, I do think that he's a unique example of someone who could have things to appeal to both sides. Um, 
But, uh, you, you know, I, I wish that it was possible for people who weren't billionaires to jump into the race. Um, in the case of this election, if it winds up being Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump, those are two candidates with very high unfavorable numbers. So I wouldn't be surprised if Bloomberg is tempted, but uh, he is getting on in years a bit. And, um, you know, it takes a lot more than four months to run a presidential campaign. He'd have to get on the ballot in all 50 states. I'm sure he could afford to hire people to make that happen. Um, but generally, I, I, I support it just because I want to have more than just the puppet on the left and the puppet on the right when I'm watching a debate. You mentioned Donald Trump, so I'm going to have to ask a question about him. He has said things as a presidential candidate that would seemingly be things that any presidential candidate who if they'd said them, they would be laughed out of the race and no one would ever hear them, hear from them again. I mean, I'm thinking of Howard Dean back in what, like 2004 where he did the, we're going to Iowa, we're going to Kansas, whoa! And that was the end of him. And that was nothing compared to some of the things that Donald Trump has said. What is it that is different this time that allows <clears throat> Donald Trump to say things that he shouldn't be able to get away with and he's still a viable candidate? Well, you know, in the case of Howard Dean, I think the media wanted him out of the race and had, a, had it in for him. In the case of Donald Trump, he's ratings crack. And the number one thing to remember is that, uh, you know, I'll believe the media is liberal when they give Bernie Sanders more than 180th of the coverage they give to Donald Trump. The fact is that Trump, for all of his bluster and, and horrid things that have come out of his mouth, is great for ratings. And the news loves him because people hate him. And some people love him. Most people hate him. Either way, they want to know. I mean, that's why you saw so much coverage of Sarah Palin on MSNBC for so many years, because people love to watch what they hate. Likewise, I'm sure that Roger Ailes over at Fox News really is praying Hillary Clinton gets the job. I mean, when Barack Obama was sworn in, that very week they gave Bill O'Reilly and Sean Hannity new four-year deals. I can tell you that Fox News did not want to be the the defend uh, Mitt Romney channel. They'd much rather be the hate Obama channel. So Hillary Clinton will be much better for Fox's ratings than a Marco Rubio or someone else they have to defend. Negativity plays a big role in politics. I don't have to tell you, but it also plays a big role in how we watch the news. So does the media have too much power in anointing who ends up being elected? I mean, I think big money in general. Some people would make the argument the same people own the politicians and the media. Um, But, uh, you know, we're in an age where that is beginning to shift and where we are becoming the media more and more. Bernie Sanders has in one in about six weeks, he's closed a 30 point gap. The newest Quinnipiac poll shows that they're separated by only about four points, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton. He was behind 30 points in mid-December. And that's not because he's gotten so much corporate media exposure. It's because of the Internet. It's because of social media. It's because people are getting the speeches and the memes and the quotes out there. And uh, more people have, uh, have, you know, become aware of his campaign. So I do think with social media, we're seeing a new democratization of the election process that's uh, kind of encouraging. I know that you have to go, but I want to let people know that you're going to be hitting the road as part of SiriusXM's Insight Electoral College Tour comedy show. Where are you heading and where will people be able to get tickets to check you out? Uh Well, I'm so glad you asked. Thank you very much. We're going to be doing a a tour with um, a comedy tour for Sirius XM Insight with myself and comedians uh, Pete Dominic and Dino Badala. That's going to launch this coming Monday on Primary Eve up in New Hampshire. We'll be doing our radio shows live from the University of New Hampshire during the day and then doing um, 
uh, a live show, a live stand-up show from the press room in Portsmouth, New Hampshire that night. I'm also, we're also going to be going to Duke University later in the month. And then I do a big tour with Stephanie Miller, the progressive radio host called the Sexy Liberal Comedy Tour. Uh, we did that for a few years and had a number one album. And everybody from Rob Reiner to Lily Tomlin joined us on stage. We're taking that tour off at the Barrymore Theater in Madison, Wisconsin on February 26th and 27th. So it's a really, really fun time to be a political comedian and get back on the road and, uh, and talk to real people and just make fun of all this because it's completely insane. It kind of is. One last thing before I let you go. I saw that you were tweeting something about the question, what is the greatest Western film of all time? Do you want to weigh in on that or is that, uh, <laughs> do you want to keep that to yourself? Well, you know, on my show, we do a lot of politics, like I said, but we also do a lot of culture. We have actors and rock stars. We do <clears throat> sports and sex and relationships, family, nutrition, health, wellness, history, science, tech, uh, and comedy. But one thing we do a couple times a month is have um, a couple of comedians on who do a, a, a podcast about horror movies and cult films, and we will do a, just a call-in segment for an hour. And so today, we did a whole hour on just... Uh, you know, the greatest Westerns of all time. I didn't think anybody would call in. I was kind of afraid it would be a, a dead air for an hour. But it's amazing when we get off the, the politics and get to the fun stuff, the phones just light up and we didn't even get to all of our callers for an hour-long conversation on Westerns. I think the best Western ever is uh, uh, Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven. I just think it's a, it's a Western about Westerns. And um, it's a violent film that's anti-violence. But I'm also a big fan of uh, John Wayne's The Searchers. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of a movie geek. So we, we do tons of, uh, of stuff like that on our show. And I hope you'll come on our show sometime and join us, especially if you're in New York. Come join us in person. I'd love to. It gives me a reason to get out of the house. And everybody else, if you want to listen, it's on Sirius XM Channel 121, Monday through Fridays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern. John, I want to thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I want to thank you. I know I was supposed to stay longer, and, and sadly, my mom is in hospice uh, right now in North Carolina. Her health took a turn for the worse, so I'm, I'm down south helping my mom, and I'm sorry that my time has been cut short with you. I've had a great time. Your show's terrific, and I'll, I'll come back anytime you'll have me. Thank you so much. Thank you, and our thoughts are with you. Thanks. Have a great one. Take care, everyone. We're going to take a quick break, but we have more of all sorts of things. Stay tuned, because Kroll Call will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Hey, soap fans, are you looking for the inside scoop on your favorite daytime drama series? Well, for 20 years now, soap fans have looked no further than SoapCentral.com. Every day, SoapCentral.com has comprehensive daily recaps of all the happenings on your favorite soap operas. You can take a peek ahead with the scoop for spoilers and previews or share your thoughts with other soap fans from around the world on our bustling message boards. If you're looking for a little history or just looking to settle a bet with a friend, check out hundreds of character profiles and actor biographies. Now you'll know who's slept with who, who's related to who, and of course, who's come back from the dead the most times. Plus, there are exclusive interviews, red carpet coverage of the daytime Emmys, and much, much more. So whether you're watching The Young and the Restless, Days of Our Lives, General Hospital, or The Bold and the Beautiful, or if you're reflecting on some of the soaps that are no longer with us, SoapCentral.com will keep you tuning in tomorrow. Now, let's get back to more of this week's Kroll Call. (laughs) 
Hey everybody, welcome back to this week's episode of Kroll Call. We have a lot of things going on behind the scenes here. I do want to thank John Fuglesang for taking some time to spend with us in the last segment. Uh, it's sort of shuffled a bit with what we're going to be doing for today's show. So we're going to have our full Curl Call panel discussion coming up at a later date. But I figured what would be even more fun than having a lot of people talk about things here on the air? Well, it would be having just one person talk about a whole lot of things. Friend to the show, Richard Sims is back. He's hanging out with us for the rest of the show. Richard, what is going on and where have you been for so long? You haven't been on the show in like months. I don't know. I felt like I was unfriended and blocked. And I'm like, oh, he's got John Fuglesen. He doesn't need me. Who, by the way, was an awesome interview. It really, I I have not, I didn't know he had a show on Sirius XM. And I, and I, I not only do I look forward to hearing it, but I actually tweeted that like my life goal now is to be a guest on his show because he's hysterical. Not that you aren't awesome and that I'm not very happy to be here, but... I was going to say, we can arrange it. I can let you go and have as much time to plan being on his show as you want. We can click, click right now. And what are you going to do for the rest of the half hour? I'm going to do some vocal impressions of various... <laughs> okay, well, maybe, maybe we should stick with our hot topics instead. <laughs> okay, so, you know, we talked about a lot of things in the last segment. Even though it was a short amount of time, Richard, there are things that usually will get a response from people. They are... Religion, which we touched on briefly, and politics. And it seems that it is very difficult to have a level-headed, calm discussion about either one of those issues. Unless, of course, you're in a room with people who were completely like-minded. So, for you, do you find yourself wanting to have political discussions with people? Yes, but... Really? Um... Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love discussing politics. I love discussing. And, and this is a relatively new um, thing for me. I really was not, I guess I would say I was not intelligent enough or informed enough to have political conversations until probably maybe four years ago. Um, and, you know, now I, I'm obviously I'm, I'm, I'm a diehard liberal. I mean, I'm a, you know, I watch Rachel Maddow every night, that kind of thing. But I also... I'm a big believer in sort of know thine enemy. So I also, I watch Fox News. I, I don't just read um, liberal uh, media outlets. I read conservative ones as well. You know, I'm, I'm like Sarah Palin. I read everything that crosses in front of me. I can't name any of them in particular, but <laughs> I read them all. Uh, and, and I do. I really, I find it a fascinating topic. But you're right. It is also a very dangerous topic because... You know, it, it is something that, um, that that is that, that inspires passion. You know, that really it, people take very seriously and take to heart. And I am a really big fan, even though it's a little bit of a dangerous thing to do. I'm a really big fan of talking to people who believe differently than me. You know, whether it's religious, um, I'm I'm an atheist. And I never, ever, ever in my life will go around telling people that they shouldn't believe in God, um, because I don't know that there's a God or there isn't a God. I only know what I believe, and I don't believe, you know, that's not something where I think I should try and change anyone's mind. 
um, or politics. Um, I, I, you know, for example, I'm very, I'm very pro-choice, but it doesn't mean I believe I'm right. Well, no, that's not true. I am right. But, but it, um, it, it's the kind of thing that people become very passionate about. And if it is with someone who you are not close to and passions run high, you can really come off sort of like a jerk, <laughs> you know, you can, you can be like, because you get so passionate about it that it feels like fighting when it's really not fighting, it's debating. It's funny that you had mentioned, I'm going back to something you said earlier in your uh, soliloquy there. Um, I actually get all of my... <laughs> I still time. <laughs> <laughs> I actually get all of my political information for things that pass in front of me. Uh, one of them is Soaps and Depth magazine. I'm all about Felicia Jones 2016. So, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, I, I have to say, I thought that, I, I really hoped that when she ran for mayor, that that was going to mean that she would become mayor and that she would um, have a stronger presence on the canvas. You know, fans really love when we see the vets getting that kind of screen time. I will say, however, I really love that um, Mayor Lomax has become sort of this hiss-worthy character. You know, if she comes on screen and you can hear the audience Hissing, especially if you're on Twitter, you can actually see them hissing at her. Uh, so you know it's kind of fun having a character like that on the canvas. We were uh, for those of you out there who don't know and are just tuning in. That was a little side conversation about the ABC soap General Hospital, since that's you know sort of what pays the bills for the two of us. But I do want to, since you were talking about the politics, it's interesting um, how you had mentioned what your political stance is. I would encourage everyone, and I'm going to find out the actual web address because if I give you the wrong one, it could end up getting me in trouble. But it is, I've got it, isidewith.com. It's a place where you can go and you can answer all sorts of questions, uh, you know, big issues in terms of, of politics. It may ask you things about uh, the economy. It'll ask you things about uh, social issues, and crime, and there's a whole bunch of different questions, and you can either answer yes or no, and some of them have uh, more in-depth answers. And you can find out, at least according to this website, who's, which of the candidates who are running for president you are most closely aligned with. For me, I was really surprised, Richard. Uh, I have in my mind, for me, I'm sort of all over the place uh, with my ideology. There are certain things that I find myself I'm very liberal with. There are things I find myself very conservative with. I have to say, without saying who had told me I most identified with or most associate with in terms of my thought process, I was stunned. It wasn't well, overwhelming, I, but I, I was agree. stunned. I, I actually, after you... Um, you had mentioned that site to me a while back, and I went on and I did, um, you know, I, I I did the same thing. I went on and I answered questions and stuff, and I was really surprised to find out. And I have no problem. I mean, I'm I'm a liberal Democrat, and yet I was really closely uh, aligned on many issues with Marco Rubio, which really surprised me. Um, but you know, I think I think you were talking to uh, John earlier about our two party system, and I think one of the big flaws in our two party system is that. Um, that they, in many ways, the two-party system does not leave any wiggle room. For example, I'm very, very socially and politically liberal, but there is a big part of me that is sort of conservative fiscally. You know, there are, there are things that I hear, um, that I hear even some far right-wing conservatives talking about, 
when it comes to fiscal responsibility and balancing the budget and things like that that I can completely and totally agree with. I may not agree with their social policies, but I agree with their, their fiscal policies a lot of times. And that's sort of the problem with uh, our, our two-party system is it, it really is, as you were saying earlier, an either-or situation, and there's no there's no sort of way of balancing that. You and know? I think, too, um, for a lot of people, what they find is it really depends what is your, the issue that is most pressing to you. For example, and this, this could change at some point in time, but we'll talk in the last election. For people who felt very strongly, or either way, about marriage equality, if that was your big issue, but maybe your candidate, you didn't agree with anything else of them. You, you would have to decide, okay, do I want to vote for someone who is against gay marriage, but I agree with everything else they say, and it may be going against something that I feel very strongly with, or do you vote for someone in the other party who is perhaps for gay marriage, which you feel, but you don't like anything else that they're in. So I think with two-party system, it's sort of you have to sort of pick your poison. It's a choice of, of word. But, you know, it's, you may not be able to find someone who is a viable candidate who checks off all of your boxes. So a lot of people, I guess, maybe that's why they don't even vote. They sort of hold their nose and, and press a button or they choose not to vote at all. And, of course, neither one of those really helps the process. Well, honestly, I wish... I, I wish that more people didn't vote because they were so conflicted by their choices, but I really believe that the vast majority of people don't vote because they simply aren't invested in the political process. And that, that makes me sad. It makes me, it, it makes me really sad when you look at the low numbers of voter turnout. And, you know, it'd be lovely if we could say that we live in a world where it's because people are so conflicted, I don't know who to vote for. But, but honestly, most people just don't get you know, they just aren't invested. They aren't registered. They don't vote. They don't, you know, look at, look at the numbers for whether it's, you know, look at, look at the numbers for any political show. Um, no matter what affiliation you are, no matter what network it's on, and yes, Fox is going to, Fox has much higher numbers than does like, say, MSNBC. But, but, but look at those numbers and then compare those numbers to, you know, Grey's Anatomy or something. And, and it's sad. We're, we're just a, a, a sadly, woefully, uninformed society. And it's easy when you are around like-minded people to, you know, have intelligent debates and discussions and talk about the issues. And it's very easy when you're doing that to sort of forget that there is this much wider swath of society that isn't necessarily as politically uh, savvy as, as other people might be, you know? Um, and, and I think that, I think that the reason that someone like Donald Trump is able to come along and suddenly become this, this huge thing, if you listen to what Donald Trump is doing, Donald Trump is just throwing meat to the masses. You know, he's, he's sort of, um, yeah, people love what he says because he speaks only in buzzwords and in terms. And, you know, we're going to kick the blank out of ISIS. And, but he doesn't actually get into how he's going to do that. Or we're going to build a wall and Mexico is going to pay for that wall. But he doesn't talk about how he does it. The it interesting thing about Donald Trump, and this is just me sitting back and observing, and I think maybe part of the whole day job and, and monitoring social media for obviously for television, it has allowed me to see this, the trees for the forest. 
Donald Trump says a lot of things that I think people feel. It is not politically correct in 2016 for the president or for anyone for that matter to get on television and say, you know what, guys, I know you're afraid of ISIS. I know you're afraid of uh, a mass shooting situation. You can't say that. It seems as though you're not able to acknowledge that people have fear because that in some way indicates defeat. Donald Trump is in, an, in a position where I just don't think he necessarily cares, but he's saying a lot of things that I think people are feeling. And for the first time, people have someone to identify with for the way that they're feeling, whether it's right, whether it's wrong, whether it's politically correct or otherwise, to hear someone say, this is what I'm going to do because I know all of you out there are, are afraid or all of you out there hate uh, you know, it, it's not necessarily a good thing, but he's the only person that seems to be saying things that people are feeling that in other ways no one would talk about, no one would ever bring to the light of day. I, you know what? I'm going to disagree with you there. Um, in the in the uh, in the in the in the manner of respectful debate, because it's not that he's saying things that other people aren't saying. I mean, first of all, some of the stuff he's saying nobody needs to say. Of course, well, we're afraid yeah. of ISIS. We're terrified of it. Of course, we're we're afraid of mass shootings. You know, even people who even 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 people who own guns are afraid of mass shootings. Nobody wants to be shot. What it is is that he is saying things without a filter. You know, he will. He, he, he you were talking about earlier with John about how um, you know sort of mean the political system has become. We are talking right now, the, 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 the leader of the, the ostensible leader of the Republican Party, Donald Trump, you know, who is, who is number one, although his numbers are falling a little, falling a little bit, um, especially in the wake of Iowa, but we are talking about a man who, you know, ha- has the nerve to take the President of the United States to task for visiting a mosque and use the fact that he visited a mosque to imply, hey, you know, maybe there's something wrong there. Maybe I've been right all this time when I said, you know, he's a secret Kenyan, you know, whatever. And that's appalling to me. He is playing to a base and with great success. What I'm going to be interested in seeing is over the long term how this plays out because eventually one would think that he's going to have to actually, you know, uh, come up with a political platform. He's actually going to have to address. It's not enough to just say whatever comes to mind. You really actually are going to have to have some policies to back this up. Or can he coast on this? Can he, you know, can he just, you know, rally the masses of people who, like what he's saying, despite the fact that if you look at it, he's not really saying much, can he rally those people to the point where he rides that wave of, of you know, being a popular reality star right into the White House, which is a terrifying thought for me. It is. It, there's something, there's a the correlation between something political and not necessarily political, but I guess it becomes political in its own way every year. It seems when the Oscar nominations come around, we always have the discussion that there is a lack of diversity among the nominees. Uh, I was hoping that we would have been able to have Suzanne Wong here today to get her take as someone who probably doesn't often see themselves represented in a lot of feature films. Uh, But it'll just be the two of us, so it's going to have to be what it is. 
Every year we have the outrage, and then it happens again the following year, and it happens again the following year. When does it become enough to have to just have stop having the discussion, and when do people realize that what's going on is wrong? Uh, you know, I mean, it, it seems silly, uh, at least for me. I never actively thought in watching TV and movies from the time I was growing up, it never dawned on me that the people on TV looked like me in the sense. It was not something that I thought about. So to hear people who are watching television and they're watching film and they have no one who they can identify with or a few people who they feel they can identify with on television, I don't know how I would be able to, I don't know how I would feel about that. It's a foreign concept for me. But we have this discussion every year and it doesn't seem as though anything changes. And I don't know when we get to the point that that, how do we get that to change? Well, uh, um, okay. There's a lot of different... I'm probably going to have a rather unpopular take on this. But first of all, let's look at television. I think that television, weirdly, is, has come so much farther has. than has the movies. You know, I mean, you, you look around the, the primetime dial, and, and when you have, you know, whether it's Scandal or How to Get Away with Murder, or you, ha- you have a lot of shows on primetime, Quantico. Uh, Empire. Th- th- these are shows, th- th- there are a lot of shows that are very diverse on television, far more diversity, I think, on television than you're going to see in the movies. But here's the thing. When the Oscar nominations came out and everyone threw their hands up in the air and said, oh my God, it's all white people. Um, I said to a friend of mine, I said, okay, quick. Name five black actors who had leading roles in movies this year. And they couldn't do it. Name five black actresses who had leading roles in movies this year who would be nominated. And so I believe that the problem is not the Oscars or the nominations. It's the actual movies themselves. You know, they're, they're, you can't, you can't take a poll in which there are not enough viable candidates and then be surprised when, you know, those candidates don't, when, when, when the nominations don't reflect diversity, because the movies themselves do not reflect diversity. And, and I think that's, we will not stop having this conversation until the movies industry actually changes, you know? But it's interesting, um, though, and whether or not that's a popular opinion or not, or one that's have discussion, it's neither here nor there. For us, in our other world of talking about folks who have come from daytime television, something that came up last year was when Michael B. Jordan was cast in the Fantastic Four, and he was the Human Torch. And he gave an interview. I want to say it was with GQ. I can't remember for sure if it was or not. But people were giving him a hard time saying that there was no way that the Human Torch could ever be African-American. Because that's not the way it had been in the past. And it's an interesting, it's not even interesting, it's sort of unbelievable that in 2015, now 2016, unless it's something, I've always joked, I will go, uh, I've gone on the record in the past of saying that when they do the Dan J. Kroll story, I want Morgan Freeman to play me. Um, Just because, because he's a great actor. I'd love for him to. He's got great range. It's interesting that when you have a fictional character that it seems as though 
typically Hollywood will only cast white actors or actresses in the role. Well, let's take it a step further. You know, I believe it was just last year, but it might have been the year before. You know, there was Megyn Kelly on Fox News assuring the children of America that Santa Claus is white. They, they were doing a story on, you know, could Santa Claus be black? And, and she literally stopped the show and said, now, children, if you're listening, don't worry. Santa Claus is white. As if, like, the fact that Santa Claus was black might freak people out, <laughs> you know? Um, it's, it's, I guess it's the ultimate example of white privilege that we have co-opted <laughs> You know, like the entire characters are white. Unless they are specifically written otherwise, they are white. And and that's just a, a bizarre, horrible way of, of, of thinking, you know. That, even that, when that, they're not. We even have when they're not, right. <laughs> Michael Jackson is apparently going to be played by a white actor in a new film. Joseph Fine. Here's the thing for me. I've made the joke about Morgan Freeman. Obviously, it's meant to be humorous. How can you have the discussion of someone playing a character of another race when, without it being offensive? Michael Jackson was not white. People have made jokes about his race for years. How, can you, how do you even have the discussion <laughs> okay, perhaps. I'm going to have the discussion. I'm going to have can, the discussion. Here's I want to have the discussion. Have, how do you do it? How you have, here's how you do it. If I'm not, you know, I, I am not, I have not read much about this, to be honest. I've seen, like, the headlines and heard about it, but my understanding is this is some kind of 9-11 movie. It is. Um, A at comedy. The time of nine, at the time of 9-11, uh, and, and it's a comedy, let's keep in mind, at the time of 9-11, and this is this is, this is going to get me hatred and I hate mail, and I'm ready to embrace for it. But at the time of 9-11, Michael Jackson was basically white, you know? <laughs> um, I mean, it wasn't just, it, it became a joke. And it's, it's, it became a joke because, you know, it was how he appeared. And so it would be, it would be, uh, yes, they could have picked a light-skinned black person to play the role. But, you know, it's not... It's not like they were asking, um, it's not like they were suggesting that a white actor play Michael Jackson at 17, you know, when, 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 when his skin color was inarguably a different color than it was, you know, by the time we roll around to 9-11. So it's, you know, it's also kind of, you get into some weird areas with this kind of stuff, like can only gay actors play famous gay you know, famous gay people from history, for example. Um, and I guess there the argument is, well, that's different. It's a performance. It's, it's, it's not about skin. I don't know. It's like, it, it didn't strike me as quite as bad as it seemed at first. Like when I first heard it, when I first heard he was going to be playing Michael Jackson, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. And then I found out that, you know, we're not talking Michael Jackson, you know, at, at the height of Thriller or whatever. We're talking Michael Jackson in, in, uh, at the time of 9-11. And that sort of seemed like a completely different thing to me, especially since you're talking about a comedy. Maybe it was even part of the point of the comedy. I don't know. It felt a little different to me. 
I don't know. And I, like I, said, I, know I know that that's not popular. <laughs> I think it's even weird that Michael Jackson apparently gave an interview where he said that he never wanted a white actor to portray him. To me, again, the idea, it doesn't even comprehend to me. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't understand how you even get to that discussion of why Michael Jackson would even say, I don't want a white actor to play me in a movie. He's not white. For the record, white. I don't care who plays. I don't care what color the person plays me. I just want my story told, you know, because I What's, have what a story is this? like you, like you, I have a fascinating story, and I think it should be told. And I don't care if a woman plays me. I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, uh, Louis Anderson is playing a woman in uh, an FX series with uh, Zach Galifianakis. I can't think of what the movie is actually called. It's something like Hinges or Doors or Windows or. Uh, Something like some that. Form it's form of some form of household decor, <laughs> <laughs> which is a very strange segue, and I'm not entirely sure that there is one. But I'm going to say that there's a segue so that people can make one up in their head and be like, "That was a really good segue." We've talked a about really bad one. <laughs> <laughs> we've talked about Michael Jackson being played by a white actor. Seems unbelievable. Something else was said in the past week or so that is equally unbelievable to me. Rapper B.O.B. has argued that the world is flat. He's sold about a million records. He's got 2.3 million followers on Twitter, many of whom now are taking what he's saying as gospel. How, in this age of conspiracy theories, Richard, how do you prove to someone that the earth is not flat when they want to believe that it's flat. And, you know, with that, you talk about Donald Trump saying things. Here you have someone saying the world is flat. People aren't questioning it. What do you do? I mean, it just, what do you do? Honestly, you ignore it. Honestly, you ignore it. Do you, though? Just, well, here's the thing. There's a, difference between, um, there's a difference between someone saying something that is sort of, you know, it's really out there, and it's a, it, maybe even it's a vile opinion. You know, there are people, you know, but... but there's a difference between that and something that can that is known scientifically, can be proven, pictures from outer space, we've gone around the planet, you can watch videotapes of, of, of something orbiting the planet that is clearly round. It is nonsensical. And, you know, I have to, maybe I just want to believe this, but I'm going to say I have to believe it in order to continue to exist on this planet. I have to believe that the people who are saying that they, you know, who, who co-sign that, who say, yeah, he's right, are just saying it for attention. Because I, do, I don't believe he believes it, to be honest. I, I don't believe anybody in this day and age truly believes the world is flat. I mean, it, it, it just defies logic. And I think it's, I, think it's, I, I don't know, it, it, no. it it, it makes my head hurt. It makes I mean, my head I'm hurt. sure you know that people are, have, are still saying that we never went to the moon, that that was all a product of Hollywood. You know, yes, I, I, I do know that. Capricorn One was an awesome movie, by the way. If you haven't seen it, it's all about that conspiracy, and it's, it's, a, it's a cool little movie. Um, uh, yes, I, I do know that. And, you know, there are, there are, there are, there are radio stations and people and... Uh, there are people who make their lives on saying things like, you know, Sandy Hook was a false flag. Um, I, uh, you know, the, 
9-11 never really happened. The Holocaust never happened. And honestly, those people, I, I don't understand them. Um, I don't believe that they believe what they are saying. Um, there's, there's a fantastic book about, um, I believe it's called the, the Republican Brain. And it's sort of focused on how people can believe things even when science, you know, can one, can, can one billion percent prove that, they, that what they believe is incorrect? It's a fantastic book. And it basically is, sort of says that their brains are built differently. And it's, it's a fascinating phenomenon to me when people... The people that really that bother me are the ones who I truly believe make a living on saying things that they know are not true. You know, um, I, there are radio hosts and things like that who who put forth these conspiracy theories solely because they are playing on people's fear and people's people's naivete and people's ignorance. And I and they do not. I I truly believe they do not believe what they are saying. They and and that to me is so appalling. And I don't know if what story is with this with this rapper, whether he's just you know trying to get attention or what. But I it just I, I have no patience for that kind of thing. I just have no patience for these people. None, none. We only have about a minute left. I have to say it's back in the news again. It's something that we have indirectly have been talking about for more than 20 years, the O.J. Simpson trial. Back in the news, it's now a 13-part series American crime story on FX. What do we think? I know it's, it's well, I watched, only... I watched, the, I watched the pilot. It was it was very, very good. I will continue watching it, but it's a little disturbing to me. You know, there are, there are, two, there are two series on right now with the title American Crime. One is American yeah. Crime Story, the other is American Crime. American Crime is fictionalized, and, and you know, it's a, it's a very brave, very well-done story, and unfortunately the ratings are terrible on it, and I really wish people were watching that because it's, it deals with some really tough issues that are hard for people to talk about and, and does it in a, in a just mind-blowingly, epically, well-written, well-acted way. Whereas American Crime Story is taking a... It's a little bit different because it, it's a semi-fictionalized, semi-true version of events, and I'm a little uncomfortable with the way it has turned this into entertainment. And I guess we do this all the time in our culture, you know, movies, mm-hmm. uh, television, we turn horrific events into entertainment, but it makes me a little bit sad that that is, you know, that, that, that is probably going to do so much better than, than this other show that fictionalizes things. I, I don't think know. that we might do better, unfortunately, than American crime in the 30 seconds that you have left, Richard, <laughs> let everybody know where they can find you and how they can keep up with all of your shenanigans. On the internet, <laughs> um, <laughs> you can find me. You can find me. Uh, my Twitter feed is how rude are you? That's my personal account. I also I'm the executive editor of Soaps in Depth magazine, so you can uh, find my my ABC account is Soaps in Depth ABC, and my CBS account is Soaps in Depth CBS. Uh, you know, I also write. I, I'm I'm fascinated with cruises, and I now write for CruiseRadio.net as well. So you can find some stuff there for me. And of course, you can always find me hanging out talking on Twitter or on the radio or anywhere else with Dan because I spend a lot of time talking to Dan. 
I would like the folks at Soaps in Depth to know that a 30-second ad on the Super Bowl costs $5 million. You just gave them about a 30-second plug. I'll settle for $2 million. I'll send the, the uh, invoice to your folks so they can pay me for your little Perfect. plug. <laughs> I'm sure they'll get I, right I'm on sure that. I'm sure that will be paid in full immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it will. Richard, I want to thank you so much for hanging out with me, for filling in here, for talking about everything that sort of pops along in our head. Thanks for having me. It's always a blast. I also want to thank everybody out there for listening to this week's show. It was sort of a hodgepodge of everything that goes on. It's a good example of some of the things that we talk about here on the show. If you missed any part of it, if you'd like to hear it again, or if you want to listen to any of the other shows that we've put together over the last six years now, head over to CurlCall.com. You can listen to them all there for free, on demand. You can also get links to go and download the podcast on iTunes, or to listen to other shows on the Voice America Talk Radio Network that may appeal to you. In the meantime, remember that the next time the phone rings, pick it up. It could be somebody asking you to vote for somebody, or it could be the Kroll Call. We'll talk to you next time, everybody. <laughs> 